Our topic this week from the book of Genesis, chapter 16, Hagar and Ishmael. Sarai, Abram's wife, had <laughs> borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So where did Sarah pick Hagar up? Egypt. In Egypt. Well, how did she get a servant from Egypt? Egypt. That's right. That's right. You remember a few weeks ago, yes. there was a famine in the land, and the Bible doesn't mention God directing, specifically commanding or advising Abraham to go to Egypt. doesn't specifically mention Abraham praying about it ahead of time. Abraham feared and went to Egypt. And maybe that was okay. Maybe that was God-led. I don't know. But uh, again, we have no direct uh, quotes and God encouraging it or approving of it. And I see it didn't work out so great. And there were other people in Canaan who didn't flee to Egypt during the famine and they survived. So if they were able to survive without God, how much Abraham could have survived in Canaan with God, even through the famine, if, if that was God's will. But no, Abraham went down into Egypt Sarai gets taken by Pharaoh and by God's divine intervention keeps Pharaoh from having relations with Sarai, protects her, spares her, and Abraham gets her back. That was a close call. And out of that situation, that very well could be how they got Hagar. Abraham gets kicked out of Egypt with a bunch of possessions. One of the possessions might have been Hagar. Maybe the Pharaoh didn't want her either. I don't know, you know, whatever. But that's where Hagar comes on the scene. So already in verse 1, if Abraham hadn't gone to Egypt, there'd be no Hagar in this story. Right? Verse 2, Sarai said to Abram, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Now, Sarah is not mentioned saying much in the Bible. As a matter of fact, this is the first words we hear out of Sarah's mouth. They've been in Canaan 10 years. So we've had this Abraham story now for 10, of Abraham's uh, 10 years of Abraham's life already. And we haven't heard a word out of her, not a peep out of her. And this is the first words we get out of her. The Lord has restrained me from bearing children. She's blaming God that she doesn't have children. And we can understand after 10 years, you know, I'm sure they were very disappointed. They had this promise and expectation. That's just 10 years in Canaan with the promise. How long have they been married? We don't know. How long has she been dreaming and desiring? I, She's in her, what, 80s or something about here? Um, or 70, late 70s? And so, you know, how long has she been dreaming? Maybe from a little childhood to be a mother someday. And here at this age, she still doesn't have a child. So we can understand, uh, you know, the, and then especially God promised it and he hasn't come through. We can understand the blame on God. But for the first words out of her mouth that are mentioned in the Bible, to have this, this doubt and this uh, lack of, faith, again, understandable lack of faith, but nonetheless, God has restrained me from bearing children. And then this idea to go and commit adultery in order to solve God's problem or solve God's lack, 
It's not a great testimony in her behalf. And again, she doesn't say much. Actually, I think there's only about four lines in the whole Bible that are direct quotes from Sarah. And uh, at least half of them aren't good. <laughs> so uh, this is one of them. And uh, so go into my maid, and perhaps I shall attain children by her. We never, mark this down, we never have to break one of God's commandments in order to fulfill one of God's promises. God promised a child. We don't have to break a commandment to fulfill God's promise. God will do it. God will bring it to pass. He may use us, but never in disobedience to do it. There's often temptations. We experience the same temptations today. God promised to provide for all our needs according to his riches and glory. And sometimes it seems like our needs are not being met. But if I just use the tithe, or if I just work on Sabbath, then I'll have more means to meet my need and to help God fulfill his promise to meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. The various different ways we justify helping God out and in order to do so, break one of his commandments. Nothing new under the sun. And so Sarah is here an example of that, suggesting, let's just break one of God's commandments in order to have a child. Now people sometimes question, well, how would Abraham and Sarah know that it would be wrong to, to, to have a concubine, to have more than one wife? It's not written specifically until Moses. Yeah, but the Bible says God created Adam and Eve. Not Adam, Eve, Alice, Sarah, you know, uh, Susan, whatever down the line, right? It says the two shall be one flesh. Then say the three will be one flesh, the four will be one flesh, the five will be one flesh, the two will be one flesh. And so she should have known better. And this wrong suggestion then lays the seed of thought that then Jacob, their grandchildren, grandchild, does similarly. And instead of us having six tribes of the nation of Israel through Leah, we end up with 12 tribes, many of them from concubines. So not a good example, not a great idea at all. Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. After Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, he went into Hagar, and she conceived. So the problem wasn't on Abraham's part. <laughs> that was no problem. It seemed like it was one occasion, and poof, she conceived, and Child's on the way. Probably didn't make Sarah feel any better. But Abraham, he goes and he heeds the voice of Sarai. It doesn't sound like he gave much of resistance. No doubt he was desiring a child too. Willing to compromise, bend the rules, and help God out. And we see not only does Sarah suggest it, she helps it along. Sarah took Hagar, her maid and gave her 
to her husband, Abraham. So we almost visualize her taking her by the hand, leading her into the tent, and turning her over. It wasn't just a suggestion and then, you know, leaving. I don't want to know anything about it, but she sets it up. Sad account on Abraham's part. And this one sin committed in a desert in a tent has affected millions of people till this day. For thousands of years, we are paying the price today because of that one sin. Don't think that one sin you do won't affect others. No one else knows about it. Just in my mind, it's just my heart, it's just my desire, it's just a thought. No. Every sin spreads and affects us, our total life, and affects others as well, and can affect generations to come. This affects the whole world. Much, much suffering is the result of this sin down through the ages. War after war after war, atrocities, slavery, abuse, hatred, animosity, false teachings have come about as a result of this sin. Don't toy with sin. Adam and Eve, one sin has affected everything in this world. Don't mess with sin. God calls us to come out of sin. He tells Abraham to stand before me and be blameless. God wants to give us victory through the power and blood of Yeshua, cleansing us of our carnal nature, cleansing us of our sinful nature, and filling us with his Holy Spirit, empowering us to do what is right, to choose what is right, to hold on and be faithful, be patient, waiting upon the Lord to fulfill his promises in his way. Not in our own strength, not in our own abilities. Verse 4, when Hagar saw that she had conceived, her mistress Sarai became despised in her eyes. So here, foreign servant, now thinking, hey, I'm going to be Abraham's number one. I'm going to be the mistress eventually. Sarah is going to serve me, and she begins to look down upon Sarah. Sarah said to Abraham, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maiden to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Sarah opened her mouth again. <laughs> and it wasn't great, right? She's now blaming Abraham. <laughs> she blamed God, now she's blaming Abraham. My wrong be upon you. How can her wrong be upon someone else? And the Lord will judge. Let God judge between you and me. That You're the guilty one here. You should have said no. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> she has some responsibility as well, right? 
Verse 6, Abram said to Sarai, Indeed your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. It's kind of just, as I picture Abraham here, he doesn't want to get involved. You know? He just kind of sets back, you do whatever you want. I don't want to hear about it anymore. I've been in this too much. I've already participated too much in this. He doesn't say, volunteer. Well, let me just go talk to Hagar, and I'll tell her, you're still the mistress, and you're number one. Don't worry about it. I'll work this out, and I'll put her in a place. No, he doesn't. I don't want to. Just leave me alone. <laughs> you go deal with it. He's your maidservant. It's kind of hands-off on this thing. Goes and defeats the kings that, uh, that took over Sodom and Gomorrah, but he doesn't want to deal with this situation. <laughs> I'll go fight bloody battles, but I don't want to get between two women in their, in their fight, right? So you handle it, right? That's one, number one reason not to have two wives, right? <laughs> so we don't say that's another reason, right? Maybe number two reason. Number one was it's not biblical. Number two, it doesn't work out great. <laughs> right? It's enough of a headache with one, right? Who wants two, right? So... Not, Current, uh, present, present wife accepted, right? <laughs> Verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, and he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Wow. The love and mercy of God. Right? You know, people think that the uh, children of Israel, children of Abraham, that's God, apple of God's eyes. And yeah, the Bible says things like that, but God has his care for Hagar, an Egyptian maidservant. And he goes after her. The angel of the Lord found her. Like he comes after Adam and Eve, he's coming after Hagar. He finds her by a spring in the wilderness. And the angel of the Lord, sometimes in the Bible, the angel of the Lord is a reference to the Messiah, the messenger of the Lord. Not always, but sometimes. So this might be the Messiah himself, or an angel that he sent to go to her. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, so he puts her in her place. You're her maid. I know you've been dreaming of being the mistress. I know you've been dreaming of being Abraham's wife. But you're just the maid. That's your role. So he doesn't let her off with, uh, you know, poor victim status here. Calls her what she is. Sets it straight. And then he asks her, where have you come from? And where are you going? Yeah, I think that's a very loving thing. He could just, you know, come down on her while you're running away. He knew, right? He didn't do that. Kind of like with Adam and Eve. Comes walking in the garden. Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? He knew where they were. <laughs> come out from that bush. I want to talk to you. He didn't do that. He doesn't do that with her either. He invites her to tell the story. He invites her to tell her side of it. Invites her to, he wants to hear her out. That's the love of God. The mercy of God to all humanity. Seeks her out. Sits down with her, talks with her. 
enters into conversation with her. Not just a God who commands, but God who communes. God who tabernacles with us. God who wants to be one with us. God who wants to hear us. God who loves us. God who's concerned for us. For each of us. In all our situations. And if you're running away from some problem in your life, if you're avoiding it, some way, shape, or form, God's calling upon you. God's seeking you out. God wants to hear what's up. He wants to know. Bring it to him. Why are you fleeing? Where are you going? What's your plan? Why aren't you addressing the situation? Why aren't you dealing with it? Why are you fleeing? Fleeing is rarely a good idea. Now, there are times where under, you know, abuse, certainly, don't stay under an abusive situation. That's the other extreme, right? People tend to stay under, stay under abusive situations and get beaten up and abused, and that's not a good idea. Under the guise of, oh, love or love of God or whatever excuse. But that's not a good idea. But fleeing under every offense. I mean, we don't have any mention for 10 years. Seems like Sarah was good to her for 10 years. They seem to have gotten along. Why would Sarah suggest her to go in if Sarah didn't like her? If Sarah was mean to her, if Hagar was a horrible servant, and she wouldn't have suggested her, she would have picked someone else. Abraham had hundreds of servants. So they seem to have gotten along. So under this rift, she flees. And when we run, that person follows us. Yep. You run somewhere else. You don't like that neighbor. You move. And that neighbor moves right next door to you again. You move again, and they move, and then right next to you again. They might have changed their name. They might have a different face. But it's the same person. You switch that job, go to another job, switch that job. Switch that relationship for another relationship. It just follows us because the problem is us. The problem's not out there most often. The problem's in here most often. And we need to learn to deal with it and face it. Cope with it. Accept it, work within it. Work it out as much as possible within us. Be at peace with all. I'll be running. Satan will love to get us running. That's what he loves to do. From one congregation to another, from one city to another, from one relationship to another. Loves to get people running and running and running. He can keep us from running, then, he can't, then we can't be used by God. The way we can when we're solid and firm on the rock and have an influence and be a blessing. And nor can we hear, nor can people minister to us, nor can people get to know us and help us and encourage us and strengthen us and minister to us. Satan's always got us running around, fleeing here and there. Know God's truth, know God's will, know where God wants you to be, and then grow where you're planted. And be content in that. With the trials, with the struggles, And be a peace thing of the prophets, right? They were persecuted, Jeremiah and others. We don't see them fleeing. They held fast. 
even in the midst of troubles. Verse 8, she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Again, he does not allow her the victimhood status. Oh, poor, poor Hagar. Oh, I feel so sorry for you. Oh, let me comfort you. Oh, poor Sarah. I mean, poor Hagar. Sarah is so mean. Oh, I'm so sorry that she treated you that way. Your feelings have been hurt. No, he says, Go back <laughs> and submit yourself to her. Return and submit. She's acknowledging my mistress, Sarai. After the angel suggested that, the angel of the Lord suggested that, <laughs> she then follows suit and acknowledges so that was good that he put it in perspective that way. I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And so he counsels her to return. Work it out, make the best of it. Submit yourself under her hand. That's your role, that's your goal, that's your purpose in life. In heaven, you'll be equal. As far as God's concerned, they're equal. As far as salvation, they're equal. As far as the price paid for them, equal. But as far as positions and roles in life, at that point in time, Sarah was the mistress and Hagar was the maidservant. In some positions in your life, you're the boss. In other positions in your life, you're not. If you're a parent, you should be the boss. If you got children under 18 years old, you should be the boss. And you go to work, you may have a boss, right? So there's times where you're the boss and there's times where you're not the boss. Right? Sometimes it's the other way around. Maybe a boss at work in other situations, you're not. We need to learn to play the role that we have, what position we're in at that point in our life, wherever we are. In the uh, homeowners association, you might be the president. <laughs> but at work, you might be something, you know, whatever. You know, so each, whatever the role, play the role, do the role that you're called to at that point. Might be on some committee or some subcommittee and you might be the chair or whatever. Sign some project. Might be a two-week project. You've been assigned to lead it out. Or maybe not. Whatever it is, right? You might be the whatever, the head of everything in the world, but on that subcommittee, you're one of the helpers. Then learn to be a helper. Right? There are some people who are just so born leaders, they want to lead everything all the time. And sometimes they need to learn to be the follower sometimes too. And so God's telling her here, this is your role here now. Go and submit and do what's right. God doesn't promise to go sit and intervene and let's work it out and let's hear both sides and let's talk it through. And He says, go submit. And there's a time for that as well. Time to just go apologize and work things out. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. And he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man 
and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Amazingly fulfilled to the T. Thousands of years before today and still being played out today. Just as God said. Well, multiply your descendants exceedingly. Conditional upon her going back and submitting to Sarai, which she does. And God gives a promise, gave a command, and then a promise with that command. Command, go back, submit to Sarai. And the promise, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. Why do you want her to go back to submit to Sarai? So that she can continue to be under the training and the education and the learning under Abraham and Sarai in the walk of the Lord. So that that child could be raised with an opportunity to know the Lord God, creator of heaven and earth. Again, the love and mercy of God. And yet, the prophecy will be a wild man and his hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. Now, it's not talking just about Ishmael, but the descendants, the multitude of descendants exceedingly that will come forth from that child. And again, sadly, that is the case. Historically, that has been the case. And it's affected the world. Now, of course, anyone within that bloodline who chooses to be set free from that prophecy, to be set free from that curse of being a wild man and having his hand against everyone, and chooses to submit to the Lord God Almighty and confesses his nature, confesses his inherited tendencies, confesses his natural inclinations, forsakes what he's been trained to know and do and habits that have been taught and part of the culture and breaks away from it through the power and blood of Yeshua and surrenders to him and confesses his sins and his nature. God will forgive him and cleanse him or her and set him free. And he'll no longer be, well, physically still down the lineage, a child of Ishmael, but no longer spiritually a child of Ishmael. No longer under the curse of a wild man, but will then become a part of the promise of Abraham's seed and an heir according to that promise. And God's love and mercy poured out. Again, God, God could have stopped this. At any time, Pharaoh could have chosen someone else or Abraham could have picked up some other servant in Egypt or not gone to Egypt. Some other, one of the other hundreds of servants of Abraham could have been Sarai's maidservant. God could have closed up her womb. God could have kept Abraham from impregnating her just as he did to Pharaoh. Or some other way, shape, or form, God could have stopped this. But he didn't. So that Hagar would have an opportunity to know of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that Ishmael would have an opportunity to know of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the creator God. 
so that these descendants, these wild men that would cause problems in the world, that would have their hand against every man, so that even maybe one of them would be saved. And I've heard testimonies and stories of many who come to the Lord. And so for them, God has allowed this. He's allowed the rest of the world to suffer. He's allowed many, many people to die in horrendous wars and under slavery. And even children and women within their own culture to suffer under abuse. So that the opportunity, the mercy of the Lord, so that some might be saved. And maybe there are other reasons. I'm certainly going to ask God when we get to heaven. Why do you allow this? But really, not the, the question really isn't, why did you have mercy on Hagar? Why did you go and help her out? Why didn't you just let her flee? Why didn't you just put her on a magic carpet somewhere and send her off? <laughs> you know? That's not the question. The question is not, why did you allow it? The real question is, why, the question is not why have you been so merciful to Hagar, the question is, why have you been so merciful to me? I don't deserve any of God's mercy. You don't deserve any of God's mercy. The only thing you and I deserve is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the moment we have sinned, the only thing we deserve is death. But God has been merciful to us. God has extended our opportunity. God has given us more chances to know of him. God has given us chances to repent. And God has given us um, his grace and his love. God's been very patient with us. And we don't deserve it. And so why shouldn't he have also been merciful to Hagar and Ishmael? In spite of what the end result as prophesied has been. And in spite of the mistakes that we have made and despite of the effects it's had upon others, God still loves us. And God has been merciful to us. And so we see the mercy of God consistent throughout the scriptures. And his mercy and his love is for all. For God so loved the world, the Hagars of this world and the everyone of this world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, Hagar, Ishmael, one of the descendants, some of the descendants, whosoever should believe on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God has called us to share with the world the goodness of the gospel. That the children of Ishmael don't have to be under that curse that pronunciation, that they can be set free. Individually, they can be set free. And it says here in these verses, verse 11, the end of verse 11, the Lord has heard your affliction. How did the Lord hear her affliction? Maybe she was crying out. She flees, she's out in the desert for a day, two days, three days, finds some well, has some water, but doesn't have food. It's hot. 
She's dying out there. And she thinks of the God of Abraham. She thinks of the lessons she learned from Abraham and Sarai. Sarai. The altars they built, the prayers that they said, the evening worships and morning worships they had. And she thinks on that and she calls on the name of the God of Abraham. And the Lord heard her affliction. And the angel of the Lord comes and helps her out. Gives her direction. Gives her a promise. Sets her on the right path. The mercy and the love of God. Verse 13, she called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, I have also here seen him who sees me. Therefore the well was called Ber Lechai Roi. She calls on the name of the Lord. She calls the well. The well of the living God, the God of life, the life-giving God who sees. He saw me here in my affliction. He spoke with me. He's helped me. He gives me life. He's the life giver. And that same God who saw Hagar, an Egyptian servant, in a wilderness, fleeing like Jacob fleeing, running from her problems, running from her master, sees you as well. Here's your affliction as well. Knows the problems that you've seen. Right? The song, no one knows the troubles I've seen. <laughs> God knows the troubles you've seen. He knows. He hears. He listens. And he sees. He sees the situation. He knows the abuses you've experienced. He's heard the angry words that have been spoken against you. He's heard the denunciations you've received. He's heard the accusations that have been held against you. He's seen the abuse you've experienced. He knows your pain. He knows your trouble. He knows your loneliness. He knows your heartache. He knows your disappointments. He cares about you. He sees you. Not only does he see you, he sees right into us. He sees our heart, he sees our mind, he sees our past, he sees our future. Yes. He knows us. And he loves us, in spite of it. And he cares. And he has a solution. I know he cares. He cares for you and me. cares about the sparrow, and the flower of the field, how much more does he care about you? He sees you. And so whatever you're going through, whatever you've been fleeing from, whatever problems you've experienced, whatever heartache, whatever disappointment, whatever abuse, surrender it to the Lord.
Give it over to him. Don't wait for the next slide. Don't wait for the ending prayer. You're feeling lonely if you're feeling disappointed, feeling the promises of God haven't been fulfilled. The Lord hasn't given you yet whatever you've been waiting on, hoping for, claiming. Give it over to him. He sees your need. He saw Sarah's need. He saw Hagar's need. He sees you as well. He's given you life. He's extended your life. He's brought you to this day. And he's given you everlasting life. Here now, abundant life. And in the future, everlasting life. The new heavens and new earth with no more pain, no more suffering, no more disappointment. No more masters, no more servants. Equality for all, unity for all. In the presence of God, golden streets for all, mansions for all. Trust in the Lord. Cry out to him, call on the name of the Lord who sees you. Thank him for the well. Thank, you for, thank him for the spring of life. Heed his commandments, submit to him, claim his promises, walk in his ways. You're not alone. We don't walk alone. He walks in the garden with us. He holds our hand. He carries us through. We're never alone. He sees, he hears. He seeks and he finds. Surrender to him, submit to him. Give your life to him. And know that he cares for you. Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham named his son. Well, I'm sorry, before we go there, right? So let's go back here. It says... Uh, So she called on the name of the Lord and she named it, you are the God who sees. So again, this angel of the Lord might have been Yeshua incarnate. The Lord spoke with her. So it seems like it wasn't just this kind of a vision or a dream, but the Lord appeared to her, physical form. She heard him, he spoke to her. She says, he sees me. He was there with her in physical form. And so it might have been Yeshua. She calls the place. The one who sees him. Sees her. So then verse 15, Hagar bore Abraham a son. Abraham named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. To 86. So there's still hope for you, right? <laughs> oh, the mercy of God. The love of God. And so as we pray, if you've made mistakes in your life that God is bringing to your mind, 
like Sarah, like Abraham. Maybe you've encouraged others to do wrong. Maybe you've been the one that done, did the wrong. Maybe you heeded someone's encouragement. Both are guilty. God's bringing some time in your lap past. Maybe there's some sin that has had multiple effects on others and on yourself. You want to surrender that to the Lord. And in a moment when we pray, claim his forgiveness, claim his cleansing, claim the breaking of Satan's influence over that area of your life. Let him set you free from that guilt. Allow him to come and hinder the negative effects from continuing to move forward. Secondly, if you've been doubting God's promises, if you've been waiting 10 years, maybe you've been waiting a long time for the fulfillment of God's promise to you, then in a moment when we pray, ask God to give you more patience, more faith, the ability to wait upon him, Third, if you want to thank God for being with you, carrying you through the troublesome times, for standing by you time and time again, for giving you more and more opportunities, for not destroying you the moment you had sinned, for giving you the promise of everlasting life. And when we pray, you can thank him. If you're thankful that he was merciful to Hagar and to all the world, then when we pray, you can thank him for that. If you're sensing God's calling to reach the Hagars of this world, to reach those who don't know him, to reach the lost, then when we pray, ask God to empower you, to fill you with his Holy Spirit. That there'll be a multitude in heaven as a result of God working through you. If any of those areas apply to you, and maybe some other area, if God, again, if you're in a situation you've been fleeing from something, surrender that to the Lord, submit to him, and do all on your part by God's grace to make peace with all men and women. Or on the flip side, if you're still in a situation you shouldn't be in and you should be fleeing from, it's really abusive, then confess the codependency and by God's grace get out. Or if there's some other area God's moving upon your heart and mind about, let's pray and surrender to him. He sees you in your trouble. Give your troubles to him. Let him work in your behalf. Find comfort in him seeing you and being with you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for having your eyes upon us. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for never leaving us nor forsaking us. Thank you for knowing our hearts. Thank you for knowing our situations. Thank you for knowing our pain. Thank you for coming and experiencing our pain with us. Thank you for knowing what it's like to be rejected, to be spoken down against, to be abused, to be misused, to be slandered, to be accused. Thank you, Lord, for loving us standing with us through this time in our life. Thank you for giving us 
your salvation. Thank you for dying for us. Take our carnal nature. Take our wildness. Take our battles with everyone. Take our hatred towards others. Take our animosity away. Take our prejudices. Take our jealousies. Take our haughtiness. We surrender to you. Give us the ability to lead when you've called us to lead and to lead godly and, 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 and kindly. And Give us the ability to serve and to follow in the areas you've called us to follow. Give us the balance in both to fulfill the role that you've called for us at each stage in our life. And use us for your honor and your glory. In Yeshua's holy name. Amen.